Hi, it's dating coach Chris Luna from Craft Charisma. Welcome to the Craft Charisma podcast, our free audio coaching program where we interview the top experts in the world at helping you become the man you've always wanted to be. My guest today is Mark Andreas. Mark teaches NLP for the NLP Practitioners Program for Red Rocks Community College, as well as for many other private sponsors. He has a private change practice in Boulder, Colorado, where he assists people in achieving life goals and resolving limitations using NLP, core transformation, metaphors of movement, and other methods for personal transformation and development. Mark's past experiences, having worked in wilderness therapy as a counselor, trip leader for the Monarch Center for Family Healing, where he was in charge of facilitating groups of troubled youth. He is the author of two books that include Sweet Fruit from the Bitter Tree, 61 Stories of Creative and Compassionate Ways Out of a Conflict, as well as Waltzing with Wolverines, Finding Connection and Cooperation with Troubled Teens. So Mark, can you tell me a little bit about your background, how you got interested in NLP and some of the other strategies that you utilize in your coaching and teaching? And, and also maybe talk about some of the projects that you currently work on. We'll, we'll deal with one of these at a time. <laughs> <laughs> sure, yeah. Well, in terms of how I got into NLP, both of my parents uh, have studied and taught NLP for a long time. So John Grinder and Richard Bandler, who developed NLP, had, um, you know, were, were teaching it. My parents were among the first kind of generation to learn from John and Richard and then my parents went on to create NLP Comprehensive, which was one of the first NLP training institutes. And they were the first to sponsor John and Richard uh, as trainers. And they also developed the first NLP practitioner and master practitioner training manuals as well. Um, and also published some of John, John and Richard's more famous books as well. So my father, Steve, had a publishing company before before he was introduced to their work. And so then, um, so both my parents, Steve and Connie Ray, were among the first, um, you know, there were a bunch of others as well that learned from John and Richard and then further began developing the field, additional processes and strategies for communication. So essentially you grew up in it. So I pretty much grew up in it, yeah. So I didn't necessarily know that this was what I was gonna go into as a career. Um, after I studied peace and global studies in college, and after that, I worked for two years as a trip leader for a wilderness therapy company, which is what my second book is about, and got a lot of firsthand experience with a range of wide range of different behaviors of these teens that didn't want to be there, um, and challenge, challenging me and and testing testing sort of what they could get away with in that situation. And then it was after that that I decided. You know, I really like this this personal growth and personal change and communication and and wilderness therapy isn't a career you stay in for for a long time. Two years was the longest anyone had actually uh, stayed in it as as that role of trip leader. So I decided to go into private practice, and here I am now, about nine years later. Yeah, it's super awesome. I think there's a lot of people who don't understand what NLP is. Some people listen to this, it might be the very first time they've heard it. Other people have, have mixed, have heard mixed things, right? They've heard people from Anthony Robbins that practices NLP and might not know what that means to like 
it's one of the darker arts. <laughs> so I think it's interesting that you said that you teach this at a community college. Um, can you explain to the listeners what is NLP and how it works? And um, yeah, we'll just sort of go from there. Yeah, yeah. So NLP, you know, like any useful technology, the, the technology itself is neutral. And so people can use it for 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 different purposes. And, um, you know, sometimes people don't necessarily use it for, they might try to use this kind of thing for their own personal gain, um, as opposed to something that's beneficial to the to everyone involved. And so that's where some of the, the darker kind of reputation can come from is people who may not be using it with everybody's best interest in at heart. But in a nutshell, what NLP is, is it's how our brains and bodies encode experience. And once we understand those codings, we can change them to change our experience. So, yeah, that I mean, that sounds cool, but it still doesn't tell us a whole lot. <laughs> uh, basically, just a, a quick intro that I like to give for people who know nothing about NLP is that um, if you imagine a woman at a party and she's dancing, having a great time, bumps into somebody, spills a glass of red wine all over her beautiful new dress that she got. And she just bursts into tears. The party's ruined. She goes home, falls into a depression. Second story, a woman's dancing at a party, having a great time, bumps into somebody, wine spills all over her beautiful new dress, and she has this moment, looks down, and then she laughs and, you know, gets a towel and mops it up as best as she can and dances the rest of the night away and has a great time. So if you... Take what's happened on the external in the external environment, it's exactly the same. So something had to had to happen differently on the inside for those two people to have this a different response in the same situation. And so that's really what NLP is about, is finding out what did the second woman do on the inside differently that allowed her to have that different response. And being able to teach that to uh, to the first woman if if she's interested and still being able to have a good time. So how do you do that? So that's a great question. And, you know, for the listeners, too, it's important to realize that at, at this point, the field of NLP is vast. There's lots and lots of different communication um, tools and personal growth and personal change tools. I like to break it down into basically there's the elements of NLP that improve our communication with others. And then there's the elements that improve our communication with ourselves or basically our personal change tools for changing our habits, feelings, behaviors, that kind of thing. So yeah, so how do you how do you actually do that? Well, because there are so many different tools at this point, there's there's a, a lot of different ways to do that in NLP. So it's not like some other um, therapies or modalities where basically there's one way to do something and you hope that works because if it doesn't, um, that's all you got. In NLP, there's a lot of different ways to go about it uh, in terms of changing that inner experience to uh, give us this the same consistency of result, just a different one. So often people's problems are experienced as fairly automatic. And even though consciously, you know, like probably 50% of my clients come in and they say, you know, consciously, I know that this uh, you know, when I get angry with my boss or my partner or, you know, when I start beating up on myself or whatever that response is, 
they say, consciously, I know that this isn't helping me. You know, it just gets, it just makes things worse. Those different responses that we have, often, I'd say 50% of my clients come in and they say, you know, consciously, I know that this isn't working for me. I know it doesn't help for me to get angry every time my partner, you know, comments on, on my um, manners at the table or, you know, whatever it might be. Um, and yet that's, keeps on being my automatic response. And it's almost, it feels out of their conscious control. And it is. Um, and for a lot of our behaviors, that's actually very useful. We want most of our behaviors work well for us and we want them to be out of our conscious control, just working naturally. And so it's just about finding those that aren't working well for us and shifting them to work just as automatically, uh, but in a way that actually works for us. So we'll just, uh, I'll, I'll just guide you through a really simple exploration that's, and, and the listeners can, can just go along and, and do this yourselves as well as you're listening, as long as you're not driving um, or operating heavy machinery. Um, so if, so Chris, if you think of some, just think of some really good memory and I'm not going to ask you any details about memory, but just, you know, think of something, some nice memory you had and let me know when you've got a specific one in mind. Okay, I got one in mind. Okay, great. So now as you think of this memory now, is it like you see the memory um, like on a, a, a screen or out in front of you somewhere, like there's Chris and, and the other people involved if there are some, or is it like you're back in it as it was when it happened, seeing, through your, seeing the situation through your eyes? More like seeing it like a photo or a video. Out in front somewhere? Yeah. Okay, great. And so basically these are the two different ways that we can remember something is remembering it from the perspective that we had at the time, which would obviously be seeing through our eyes, hearing through our ears, feeling what we felt at the time, or seeing like a, a picture or video where I, where I can go, okay, that there's there's Mark and you know, there's my friends. So in your case, you see Chris in the situation, like a little video in front. So now just let's uh, explore something. And for the uh, listeners who are going along with this, you can just notice which it is for you, if you're seeing it from your own perspective or if you're seeing yourself in the situation. And so for those of you who are seeing it as Chris is, so you're seeing yourself in the situation, just notice what happens. Uh, so Chris, imagine allowing that image to go farther and farther away so that it's more distant from, from your, where you're seeing. And then just notice how that changes your experience. So as I move back is what you're saying? Or moving yeah. away from the photo? Mm-hmm. Okay. I'm like, imagine Google Earth sort of moving back. <laughs> Perfect. Okay. Yeah, I'm there. Okay, and then looking at it this way, how does that change your experience of this positive memory? Uh, the emotion fades and it feels, I feel a sense of coldness. Okay, so we don't want that, so, so zoom back in again. Okay, I'm zoomed. But we'll just notice it. So, and uh, now notice what happens when you step, imagine stepping into the video. Okay. And the listeners, you can explore this on your own as well. You know, either if you started in the memory, um, you can come out of it and go farther away. And if you started 
out of it, you can see what it's like to step in. So Chris, when you step into the video, what's that like for you? How does that change your experience? Uh, it makes me feel happy. My whole body feels a little tingly. Okay, great. And are there any feelings you have being in, in it that you didn't have when you were looking at it? I don't know. I'm physically smiling now. I, I just feel more, I mean, I feel a higher intensity of happiness. Okay, great. And you said there's kind of like a body tingling element. Yeah. I mean, not while I'm talking and start, because I start to fade out, but if I stop talking and I move back in, yeah. Yeah. Great. Great. So this is just an example of basically the two different ways that we can remember an experience. One is in it or associated, and the other is looking at it. Um, in NLP language, we would say dissociate, but there's nothing negative about that in, in NLP terms, uh, or in the NLP word world, dissociated isn't a negative thing. In other therapies, that, that means something very different. So it's probably more useful just to use the words in it or looking at it. I mean, I, I think I know why I'm looking at it. It's because the clearest memory I have of that is from photographs. Oh, interesting. So what happens is when I think of that moment, I think back to the photographs where if photographs didn't exist, I probably would have no reference point and I would have to think about what I saw and smelt and felt or even taste. I would be more in my senses, but because I'm thinking about going back and reliving these emotions through photographs, that um, I think that's why that's my instinct. Yeah, that could well be. And there's, you know, for, and for the listeners out there, there's no right way to do this. These are just the two basic ways you can remember something. And, you know, even if, even if we didn't have any photographs or, you know, di digital images or that sort of thing, still people will tend to remember, remember things um, between these two, these two versions. Um, like for me, I tend to more often think of situations the way that, that you had this one as well, uh, which is looking looking at it. And you know, sometimes there can be a certain joy in seeing this larger perspective of the situation. Even so, what you were saying and, and what most people describe is, if you're in the experience, obviously you're going to have much more of the emotional content of the experience. So, if that was a positive experience, that can be a really great way to really get that juice of the, the good feelings from that. Um, however, looking at it from the outside could give a different sense of happiness about, you know, it might not be as emotionally full as the experience when you had it, but you might have a certain happiness of seeing the whole situation uh, from the outside and seeing kind of that perspective of things. But then, of course, if you go too far away, like we did at the beginning, then it's really difficult to connect or see much of what's going on there at all. I also think of, I mean, this is, I don't know how related this is, but I think about when you're looking at a human being from across the room versus when you, the closer you get to that person, they just take up more of your senses. You can't, you might not be able to smell them from across the room and maybe you can barely hear, hear them or maybe you can't hear them, but as you get closer, uh, you can begin to smell them. Their voice becomes not only louder, but more nuanced in certain ways. You can, they take up your a larger percentage of your visual. So it's interesting with the photo, as it got closer, I just started to feel more emotions. But as I began to step into it, I actually started to feel 
even more emotions. So how does some how does somebody use this? Yeah. So so first, just a comment on what you said because I that's a, exactly right on. And you know, if you think in terms of evolution, that's you know that makes a lot of sense that you would pay much more attention to what's closest to you. You know, a lion on the on the horizon is not really going to be much you have to worry about or or a human being but if they're right up close to you you better pay attention and you hopefully that's a friend if not you know you might have a different response um but you're going to want to really pay attention to the to what's close and so the same thing our inner world is basically modeled on on our experience our our real life experience and so the images that we have close to us are the ones that also the ones that we're going to pay more attention to so in terms of how to utilize this, then, um, so, well, some of you probably already have some thoughts of some simple ways to utilize this. So if somebody's complaining about being depressed all of the time, it's likely that they have all their good images very far away and the negative ones are associated. And so simply teaching somebody to shift and do this differently on the inside can really make a big impact. As long as they're willing to, as you can sell them on actually actually doing it on the inside, it will make a difference. Um, and just a couple examples of how there's there's no right position to be. It just depends on what you're going for. So in the phobia process in NLP that works really well for um, those one trial learning kind of phobic responses where you know, there's maybe a tra traumatic experience and ever after then spiders were not okay <laughs> to be anywhere in the room or something like that. In those experiences, or, you know, PTSD, people talk about falling falling into it or, you know, falling into the flashbacks. So that's an example of where somebody's going right inside the negative ex memory, the negative experience and experiencing it all over again. What do you do if that happens? Like if somebody's going through some form of PTSD, they've gone through trauma and they're falling into a bad experience, what do you do? So then you teach that person how to see it from the outside, to see that memory from the from an external perspective. So they can so they can have that same memory, but it, they don't have to have all the feelings associated with it anymore when they see it. And there's a there's a more in-depth process, uh, the phobia process that that helps in teaching somebody to because somebody with PTSD is going to have a really strong uh, trigger to fall back into the memory when they think about the situation. So there's a number of different ways um, to visualize it to keep that dissociation in the positive sense, uh, so that that movie stays over there and it's just something that they watch happen over there as if to somebody else. Uh, then they can teach somebody how to do that. Then when that memory gets triggered, they can see it over there as opposed to falling back into it. And on the flip side, the grief process is you want to do the reverse. So in grief, the for people who have been... Now, obviously, there's a natural grieving process, but for people who maybe it's been six months or a year later and they're still grieving, and they feel stuck in it, like they, it's holding them back from other things they want to do in life, and there's, and and they're just sort of stuck in their grief. What is almost always the the problem in grief is that somebody is disconnected from that person that they loved, or the, um, 
whatever it is that they're grieving. It might be a lost relationship. It might be, could be anything. You know, there's, there's this common phrase in our culture, you know, you, you need to just forget about it and move on. And interestingly, that's actually horrible advice that, that um, it's actually about remembering and moving on. So that with the grief process, you want to do the opposite. You want to teach somebody how to step back into all of those positive experiences. Because, you know, if I had a relationship that lasted for three years and it was wonderful, and the last month was maybe not so good, um, why am I going to rob myself of all of the resources of that, the three month, months that worked really well for me? Um, so it teaches how to reassociate in with the good stuff so that we can have that as a resource moving forward. Yeah, I think that's fascinating. So is, it, is this the core of NLP or are, are there other components of it? I mean, I've heard people talk about I mean, and this is not why we booked you on the podcast. What we're trying to do is understand this and find out what's useful. But I had people talk about like presuppositions and all kinds of like, to me, like NLP is just sort of like this mystical art that I don't know anything about that comes up from time to time. So, yeah, yeah. Um, so this is one key element to NLP. And as I said, it's a really vast field. So this is like a minute element. <laughs> Uh, but it's one very important element, and it's a good example I like to use about the structure of inner experience and how how much it matters where we see how we see that image and whether we're re-experiencing being in it or or looking at it is going to change our physiology, our feelings, and then our our behaviors in response to that. So it's just a good example to start with, and it's one of the most fundamental ways of of representing our inner experience because we can either remember something from the outside or from the inside. I think it's a beautiful example. I mean, in the applications, like from my perspective, really meaningful. How do you deal with, how do you deal with trauma and the effects of trauma and how they affect you going forward, right? And I, I really like that example you use between PTSD and how you have to sort of separate yourself. It made me think of um, the power of now and he talks about sort of watching the thought but you're like, there's this disassociation. As you, I think that's what you described it, right? As a disassociation. Yeah, in NLP jargon, we'd call it disassoci uh, dissociation, and um, and that's a neutral term in NLP. It's yeah, like just let. I mean, letting letting go of the thought or letting go of the the trauma and just sort of like letting it float away. Or I mean, d disconnecting. I really also love that zoom in and out. I mean, I immediately think of Google Earth, right? Zoom in, zoom out. Zoom yeah. in, zoom out, and. <laughs> totally. uh, and that example used, hopefully people who are listening to this will have uh, an opportunity to explore that exercise because it really did change the way I felt and I had a physical reaction to that change. And I also love how you explained grief. Grief is the, is the opposite. And so sometimes people think you get a tool and they think you can only use it one way. And it's um, really interesting to hear you talk about how you can use the same tool in two different ways in different circumstances and be both be incredibly useful and potent. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Let's talk about some of these other tools. What what are some other things that are sort of core components of NLP? Yeah, yeah. So, well, you you mentioned uh, presuppositional language uh, or you know the language element of NLP. So, there's definitely a whole range 
of uh, elements of NLP that's about improving our communication with other people. And obviously that's, you know, a, a highly relevant thing. You know, both sides are relevant in, in dating and relationships. So obviously we want to be the best communicators that we can with our partner or date or, you know, however, wherever, whatever stage we are in the relationship. And we also, you know, when we have those things that emotional triggers that we want to transform ourselves or habits that we don't really like that feel like that's not really helping the relationship, then of course it's useful to be able to shift those too. Um, but in terms of the communication side of things, one, so the presuppositional language is about learning how to basically use our words in full support of the message we're hoping to communicate. So often people think they're communicating something and they're actually, what's being received on the other side is something very different than what they're intending. And of course this happens all the time in, in dating and relationships, right? So a lot of NLP is about getting more precise with our language and understanding the underlying presuppositions in our language too. So for example, a, a, a simple one, you know, that's even in Star, Star Wars with Yoda saying, do or do not, there is no try, right? So if I say, well, I'm going to really try to get that report done, or, you know, I'm going to really, if, if that's dating situation, let's say, I'm, you know, I'm going to really try to do better next time. I'm going to really try to do what you're, you're asking. What, what the other person is likely going to hear is, well, they're going to try to do better. That sounds like they're not going to work at it very hard, and they're already planning on failing. So that could come across very differently than saying, oh, I understand this is really important to you, and I, I agree this is important, and I, and I really want to change this, something like that. Um, so that's just a simple example. There are a lot of, if you explore any communication and then just think more about, okay, what are the implications or the presuppositions in this sentence? Every sentence is going to be loaded with presuppositions or assumptions underlying it. And so once we learn about what those are, then we can have our communications fully um, supporting the communication that we want to have received on the other side. Another example in um, guided exploration that I just did was there's a moment, you know, when I'm exploring the distance between the images, when I say allow the image to recede, that's very different than, than saying try to make the image go farther away. The second one is just going to make it harder for your brain to do that. Uh, and it's a pretty simple inner experience to have happen. Or, you know, you can use, you can use other things. Just imagine there was a rubber band attached to the back of that image and then whoosh, and it goes farther away. So there's different ways of communicating that allows that inner, those inner shifts to happen really easily. And there's other ways of, of saying that presupposes it's going to be difficult or, or hard, and that's going to actually make it more difficult on the inside for somebody to do something that phrased a little differently would actually be quite easy. I feel like this has applications to people's internal dialogues as well. Yeah, definitely. So in terms of inner dialogue, it's a topic that I love to explore because a lot of the conventional wisdom on it isn't so useful also. Um, so a lot of one of the things that 
people don't realize is that most of our inner dialogue is actually very useful to us and works really well. A lot of times people assume we just need to get rid of all internal dialogue and then we'll be good. But a lot of our inner dialogue is very useful and it might just say, you know, quietly remind us to check that we lock the door before we leave or did you remember to turn off the stove or, you know, whatever it might be or did you get the flowers? Those are all really useful inner dialogue. And mostly we don't notice that inner dialogue because it's useful and it works and it helps guide us through uh, the world in the way that we want to. So it's only in certain situations where we might have an inner dialogue that's not helping us. That might say, you idiot, screwed up again, or you're never going to be successful, or like she doesn't like you, or whatever it might be. Then, you know, that inner dialogue obviously is going to get us spiraled in a not so useful direction. And a lot of people um, advocate for positive inner, you know, affirmations. And that actually doesn't work. Positive affirmations are great if there's nothing in conflict to it in our experience already. So if I'm just wanting to appreciate the world more and I, you know, spend the morning talking to myself about all of the things that I appreciate, that's, that's great. You know, that's not going to be in conflict with anything in my experience already. And I'll just have more access and connection to what I appreciate. But if I have a voice saying, ah, you idiot, she doesn't like you. And then I have, and then I go, okay, I think the solution to this is to create another uh, inner voice that argues with it and says, no, I am awesome. She loves me. Um, that kind of positive affirmation is only going to make things more difficult on the inside because now we have two voices that are battling it out and that's not going to be fun. You know, it's interesting getting back to what you were saying about you know, how our, our outer experience, how our inner experience matches our outer experience. If you were to go up to somebody on the street and, uh, or let's say you were just walking down the street and somebody said, hey, Chris, you're, you're such an idiot. And you, and you responded back and said, no, you're an idiot. I'm awesome. You know, what do you think their response would be to that? Uh, I don't know. I think most people would be shocked. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody's already coming. I mean, the, the observers would probably be shocked, right? But if somebody came up to you and was like getting into it with you and, and you came back with that same uh, kind of fighting energy. I think some people would run and some people would fight. Yeah, exactly. I, I, when I said shock, I think that would be the, the immediate response for a lot of people. But I think immediately followed by either they would attack or they would, I mean, they could freeze or they would retreat. Yeah, yeah, totally. And so if they if they were fighting back, so that's one option is that it just escalates the situation, right? And so our inner world works in the same way. You know, if we're if we're fighting with ourselves, then the running away option doesn't work, right? Cuz we're with ourselves. Having an argument with yourself, one part of us is not going to just go somewhere else. So it'll end up being the, that second one where um, it'll just escalate the experience on the inside and that whatever that negative voice was will just get stronger. And I think people, they can't physically escape themselves, but I think they try and they withdraw. Exactly. Yeah. So that so building in a positive affirmation to counter a negative one uh, that's happening on the inside is um, 
yeah, it's an attempt to get that other part of us to run away or disappear, which obviously is not going to happen. Um, and even if it did, we wouldn't want it to. You know, if you think about into going back to presuppositions, that presupposes that there is a part of ourselves that is useless. And we'd be better off if it just didn't exist. And so one of the underlying presuppositions in NLP uh, that comes into a lot of the different processes or communication tools is the assumption that every aspect of our experience is there for some positive purpose. So it may not be achieving that positive purpose, but it's motivated by some positive intention. And that alone for some people is a real game changer and can really, uh, you know, I've had some sessions, usually we get much farther, but occasionally I have a session where the, the only thing we do is explore this idea that, hey, this thing that's been bugging you and getting you down and, uh, you know, spoiling your, your, your goals for the last 40 years might actually have something positive for you. Can you give an example of that? Yeah, so it might, um, I'm just trying to think if it would make sense to, to guide you through another experience quickly or to just give a quick example. Either one, because I think what you're talking about is reframing situations, right? Is that right? Yeah, it is very much so. And when I think of that, I think of like, I've read all kinds of literature, paradigm shifts and changes in perspective and Plato's allegory in the cave. Like I think of a bunch of different things and you might correct me if, if these are not in the same realm of ideas, but um, I still think it would be really interesting. Maybe you can use an example and then guide me through it. Sure. Yeah, that sounds great. That's just what I was thinking too. So um, great. So let's just uh, make up an example. So let's say I have an inner voice that says, you idiot, you screwed it up again. Now, that doesn't sound very positive, does it? And so a lot of people initially are like, what do you mean everything has a positive, you know, like how could that possibly be positive? Um, and it's not that it's getting a positive result, it's that it's motivated by some positive purpose. So if I hear this inner voice, you know, let's say it's every time I um, email this woman I'm interested in and says, you idiot, she doesn't like you. Let's take that example. Um, I can use an example. I've had guys okay. who, um, when I'm coaching, they see a woman and they want to approach her and they start thinking um, negative thoughts like, this is why she won't like me. And sort of it brings out their anxieties. And I'm not tall enough or uh, I'm not good looking enough for her. I remember one time a girl approached me and she goes, um, you're probably out of my league. That's the way she started the conversation. Like, I mean, how do you react to that? Right. And so but yeah, with the guys, like some of these anxieties come up or I've had um, guys, they go to approach a woman and they think, what can I say that's interesting enough or good enough that she's going to want to talk to me? So I don't know if, if, if you can use any of these as examples. Yeah, sure. So let's take the first one of um, this is why she won't like me. You know, there's lots of endless variations of that, but, uh, you know, or I'm too short or I'm, I'm too whatever, you know, sort of focusing on whatever hallucinating what she's not going to be uh, liking. So one of the things is that in NLP, we want to get into the person's actual inner experience as opposed to just staying at a conscious conversational level and exploring 
the pros and cons and that kind of thing, which is all con conscious mind can be useful, but often people already have a sense that it's not working at the conscious level. And so more talk at the conscious level isn't necessarily going to be useful. So what I would begin by is, is <clears throat> invite the person to step back into the experience of the, they're about to approach the woman and, and ask them, okay, and, and let me know when you hear this thought, where do you actually hear it? And because just like the images we were exploring earlier, we have to re represent it somewhere where we're hearing this thought. So for some, oftentimes people will say, well, it's in my head. I hear the voice and it says, I'm too short, or this is why she won't like me. And then you want to get the exact phrasing of that, that inner thought. So we're not talking about the experience. We're actually accessing what, what is the experience? Or it may be that I, uh, let's say I'm approaching and I have this inner, inner voice that says, you know, she's not going to like me because of this. It may be that I experienced it as like a voice coming in from the right side into my right ear or something like that, or it might be from the left side or from some somewhere else. So I access, I invite the person to access their own inner experience. And that, that's going to tune them into what exactly this voice has been saying and, and where they're experiencing it, saying it from. So now um, this is something that mostly people have never done unless they've done some NLP exercises. They've never asked a question of, well, where is the voice actually speaking from and whose voice tone is it? Is it my voice? Is it somebody else's voice? So they're really paying much more attention to the, the structure of their inner experience. And getting back to the, you know, what I was saying earlier, it's about understanding how we code experience so we can change that to experience something differently. So with the image, the distance we see that image or whether we stepped into it or out of it, that's how we code that particular experience. And with the voice, whether that's in my head or outside or, you know, that's going to change how I code the experience too, the voice tone that it's speaking in, that sort of thing. So one really quick thing that I like to uh, show people with voices that, that gets them a sense of, okay, this actually matters, this inner representation of the voice is go, okay, now shift, see what happens when you shift this voice into to speak from your big toe. And most people laugh when if they actually do it, or, you know, definitely get a big shift uh, in their own experience. So the voice is still saying the same thing. It's still saying, oh, she's not going to like me because of blah, blah, blah. But now it's saying it from my big toe as opposed to right here by my right ear. And that'll really shift somebody's experience. Sometimes just doing that, just introducing a little change like that, gives somebody the freedom to go, okay, I'm going to just put that voice into my big toe, uh, and then I'm going to approach her. Uh, but there's much more that we can do than just that. Uh, that's kind of an introduction to show how this inner experience matters, how we represent it, and, it, and we're going to behave differently if we represent it differently. Um, so in terms of getting to the positive intention then, the nice thing about an inner voice is that it's already talking to us. So it's really easy to to have a communication uh, with an inner voice. And one thing you can do is is begin by saying, okay, you know, thank the voice for being here because you can trust that it has something positive it wants in communicating this. You know, it wouldn't have been communicating this over the last 40 years or 10 years or however long 
so consistently in these situations if it didn't have something it thought was important to to get across here so thank it for being here and for wanting something positive even if you have no idea what it might be and just ask this voice what do you want it what what do you want and then listen for what comes back and so people will say things like oh well it says it wants me to it, it doesn't want me to screw up it doesn't want me to blow it with this this woman i'm interested in that could be one option so okay great so thank the voice for for sharing this and ask this voice so if you if i don't blow it with her what what does that get for you that's more important well then you get a relationship and blah 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 the good stuff so now we're into something positive that that this voice is really after that we can consciously agree on is also a good thing that it, it wants the relationship and so so for somebody who's been experiencing a voice as totally useless or just derailing them every time they start being successful um that shift of realizing wow okay this voice actually wants me to succeed in this relationship is a really big deal so then i'll, I'll say just to the person so i'm guessing that when you heard um you idiot you're going to screw this up or she's not going to like you you didn't get the message of i want you to succeed in this relationship is that correct and of course they'll say no i didn't get that message at all uh, and so then it, it's a question of okay great so now that you know what the actual the underlying positive intention of this uh, part of you is would you uh, ask this part if it would be willing to communicate in a way where you can actually understand what it's been trying to communicate with you all of these years. Um, and that's a pretty big reframe right there to, to go, oh, whoa, all of these years, this part of me was actually trying to communicate to me that it wants me to succeed. And so, you know, I haven't yet had somebody who said, no, I don't want to do that. I want to keep listening to the old voice. Um, and now we have something that's it's it's aligned with with the positive intention of this inner voice. So it's the opposite of putting in a positive affirmation that would be arguing with the voice. It's actually going, okay, we've discovered that you want me to be successful. So what's something? And you know, you can even invite somebody to say, you know, you can even apologize to this voice for not having understood its message all of these years, and let it know that you would love to hear this message uh, in a way that's really easy for you to understand. So let it know what might be some message it could use instead that would really clearly communicate to you its positive intention of wanting you to succeed. So it might be just as simple as saying, I want you to succeed, you know, or somebody might come up with something else. Um, then we want to just test that and see how it works in the experience. So, okay, great. So invite this uh, voice to try communicating, to explore would be a better presupposition, explore communicating in this new way, uh, what it's been wanting to communicate all this time. And have the person, again, step back into the memory of about to approach the woman or speak or talk with her, whatever it might be, and have that inner voice playing the new message. I want you to succeed and in probably a new voice tone that's 
nicer to listen to. And then the person can get some experience of how that works in the, in the actual situation. And then you can go from there and make adjustments if, if necessary. But often that's really all that's needed to transform that what, what was experienced as um, an inner critic to now th there's an inner ally, actually. So we're much more resourceful than if we, you know, if we succeeded at just eliminating that voice altogether, we'd be missing out on that part of us that actually wants us to succeed. Dating coach Chris Luna here. This is the perfect time to take a quick break to talk to you about three simple things that you can do to dramatically change your life. First, listen to this entire podcast and then subscribe through SoundCloud, iTunes, or Stitcher. This way you'll immediately be notified every time we share a new release. If you listen and apply the ideas we discuss on these podcasts, it will change your life forever. Second, go to craftchristmas.com, create an account, and become a member of our community. There you can read articles, listen to podcasts, watch videos, ask us questions, and document your journey in our forums. Great men don't become great on their own. All great men are members of a community and Craft Charisma is your community. Finally, if you're serious, and I know that you are, about making massive changes to your life as quickly as possible, check out our live coaching programs on our website. Craft Charisma live programs are the fastest way to improve your dating and social life. And who knows, attend our live programs, let us get to know you, and you may end up as a member of the Craft Charisma team. Again, thank you for listening. Now back to the podcast. Well, another question I want to ask you about is just body language. Uh, I've also heard people talk about NLP and they talk about mirroring and uh, mirroring voice and mirroring body language and mirroring tone and language. Can you talk about some of these things? Yeah, definitely. So uh, what I like to teach in my intro NLP class is what I invite people in the class to do is pair up with somebody and just share some really exciting experience that happened to you. And then when everybody's kind of into the conversation for a minute or so, then I, I'll have everybody pause and I say, okay, freeze exactly how you are in the position that you're in. And then I go around the room and notice and point out how people are already matching and mirroring each other. So they might be both leaning in, they might both have legs crossed, they might have you know, their arms together on the desk in front of them or um, you know, whatever is happening in that conversation, if they were, if they were both engaged in it, they're going to be matching. And that happens naturally and unconsciously. And then what I say is, okay, now I want one of you to take some totally different body posture, you know, stand, if, if both people are sitting up, I'll have one person stand, turn around and cross your arms and now continue the conversation. And people find it really difficult actually to, to do that, to, to just continue the thread of the conversation when there's such a mis mismatch there. And so I like to point that out. One of my uh, teachers, Charles Faulkner, uh, is the one who introduced me to this exercise because it's a great example of how we all already have the skill of mirroring and matching. Everybody does it a lot of the time already, uh, very naturally when we're connected with somebody. It just, you know, we can't not do it if we're connected with somebody. So we already have the skill. It's just that in, in certain situations, we mismatch when it would be more useful to match. 
And so it's nice to point out to people, this isn't this whole new skill that you have to learn. You already know how to do it. It just might be useful to do it in that one argument you often get into with your partner. You're absolutely right. People do this instinctively. And anyone who's listening to this, all you have to do is walk out to a restaurant or bar tonight and watch any people who are in sync and you'll see one person crosses their arms and they're crosses their arms, the other one crosses their arms and the other one crosses. One leans in, the other leans in. Um, like you'll see this this connection and this physicality and you also hear it in their voice and you'll see it in, or you'll also hear it in the topics they talk about. They can talk about anything, but they start to move into congruence. And so this happens instinctively. Um, sometimes when we start feeling anxieties or fear or we're, we're struggling with depression or some type of trauma, then what happens, we move into ourselves and we disconnect. And so the people around us start feeling disconnected. And, and that I see a lot with our clients. Does that connect with you? Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Yeah. So that can be a really, to be a little bit more conscious of it, we can, you know, in those situations where we really want to connect with somebody, we can be a little bit more conscious of, okay, are they, are they feeding back what I'm giving them? You know, if I lean forward, are they also leaning forward? In which case, great. They're also feeling connected. If I lean forward and they lean back, then I might want to lean back again. And Try leaning forward again in 10 minutes. <laughs> um, so to, to have a little bit more of a, so I don't come on too strong or, 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 you know, so there's a balance in that. And I can notice that, acknowledge that, lean back a little bit. Now I'm matching them and giving a little bit more space there. And then maybe I'll lean forward again in a little bit and see, see what happens, see if they lean forward also. So it can be a sign of, of kind of, how in sync you are with somebody. I love that you're essentially testing, right? You're testing to see how connected you are to the other person. And if you don't have that connection that you want, then you don't freak out. You don't get up and you run away. You don't, you just sort of give it a little bit more time. You mirror them a little bit. You're basically attempting to connect with them. And, and then you see, are, are they starting to connect with you more? Because on a nonverbal level in this example, you've reached across the table a little bit. Yeah, and it can be a great way to, to, to get some feedback yourself on what they connect to. You know, if you're, if you're talking about a story and you get to a certain point and they really start leaning in, then you know, okay, this is something that they're interested in. This is somewhat a place where we can really connect. Um, you know, if you're, if you're talking about something and they sort of lean back and are looking somewhere else and then it might be, that might be one to wrap up more quickly and move on to something else. Or there might be some way that, um, something that you could shift in how you're telling the story, or maybe that's a, a sign that, okay, maybe I've just been talking too much and it's time to ask them some questions. So essentially they're getting, they might be getting agitated or frustrated or shutting down. You're asking the person to be aware enough that when they're paying attention and, and to do this, you need to get out of your head, right? But to listen with your eyes and ears and heart but to pay attention to the person that you're interacting with and be aware of how the things that you're saying and doing are affecting them that's essentially what you're saying right yeah yep what happens though if you start doing that and then the person starts reacting in a way that makes you start to shut down yeah well then that would be a great opportunity to you know, later that evening or something to do some inner work yourself with that uh, experience of shutdown. 
you know, that would be a useful thing, thing to transform in yourself so that, okay, even if something really goes not the way I want it, to be able to have the resources to be however you would like to be in that situation, to uh, be more resourceful and okay with that. I think that's a really important point. And the reason why I brought that up is because not every date's going to go well. Not every conversation with the woman or man that you love is going to go well. Uh, there's just like sometimes you're not going to connect even with the people you're most connected with. I remember talking to somebody about love and you can say I love you and it can have different sort of emotional power behind it each time. Sometimes it's sometimes somebody might say it out of habit. Other times they might mean it because they're having an incredibly intense emotional experience where they're feeling that feeling of love and they want to communicate. Like there's a range and yet communication is often inadequate. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and as you said, it happens in many different channels and words are a small percentage of that. A nice, just another quick example. If you, and something that the, the listeners can explore with or play around with too, in terms of the mirroring and matching, a lot of times, so we, we do that really well when we're in sync with somebody. Usually where we get up, get into trouble is when we're not in sync with somebody, then we stop matching. Or if we have a disagreement, uh, different political views or whatever it might be, then often we stop the, the, the mirroring and matching and then we're just going to get even more out of sync when we're already in disagreement uh, on the issue. So it can be a really interesting thing to explore what it's like to have that conversation and keep doing the matching and mirroring, uh, you know, to, to lean in and match the other person and, and go, oh, you know, that's really interesting. I have a whole different point of view. Usually people have never experienced that. If somebody has a very different point of view and yet they're completely matching and mirroring with the, with the language, it's, it's, if you do it well, it's it's almost impossible to get into an argument, no matter how different your views might be, because that the body language is is much is always much stronger. Bo body language and voice tone communicates much more than the words themselves. When I imagine that, it sounds like although you're disagreeing, you're telling the person I like them, and oftentimes when we have an, a disagreement with somebody, on some level, I feel like people think, well, this person doesn't like me they're rejecting me totally yeah i would i want to keep talking about nlp but i also want to talk about core transformation uh, mike when he put together some of the questions for this he which i've totally deviated from sorry mike he also asked about metaphors of movement and so i'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about those ideas or concepts yeah so core transformation we'll start with that is a personal growth process that my mother connie ray Andreas developed. And when she and my dad were teaching a lot of the traditional NLP tools, she was seeing a lot of benefits that other people were getting from these tools. And she experienced some benefits from them. But with some of her main issues, she wasn't actually experiencing the changes that she wanted. And so she didn't think that was very fair. So she wanted to find some way that would also work for her, some of these important things she wanted to change that thus far she hadn't been able to um, with some of the other tools. And so she, she invited other people to come to her who had not gotten any results with the traditional NLP tools um, with 
she said, you know, if you have one of those issues where you've tried everything with it and nothing has worked, come to me and let's explore. And I, the one thing I promise you is that we're not going to do anything that I know how to do. And she just wanted to explore and see whether she could come to something that would work for these issues, for these people. And so that's where the core transformation um, came from. It obviously draws heavily on NLP principles, um, but it is a different process and it's a unique process. And once this worked for these people, then my mom started applying this to herself and got changes in herself that she wanted with this process. So one way of talking about the core transformation process is that, and it's one of the processes that I use quite a lot, probably the most with clients um, because of it working at a really deep level and just being really easy to use and it works well. So um, let's see, where, where was I going with that? Oh yeah, so one way to talk about this core transformation process is that uh, if you think about somebody who breaks their arm and gets a cast put on that arm, that's a really useful thing to have that cast on there for a period of time to help the healing happen. But at a certain, and it's gonna help us be more mobile actually and be able to do more things in our life without being worried about, you know, harming that. But at a certain point, that cast is going to become not useful. It's going to become restricting as opposed to helping us get around life. It's going to become a restriction. So at a certain point, that cast needs to come off. And in a sense, the core transformation process is about finding those places where we at a psychological level, have a cast that's that was there for a useful purpose and probably helped us be a lot more mobile and helped us in our ability at a certain time in life. But at this point, it's restrictive. And the process is about removing that cast so that, that we can just be, you know, our natural um, resourceful selves the way we were meant to be. Can you give sort of like a, a specific case study where somebody used this and this was sort of the result? Yeah. Um, well, let's see. Lots of examples. Um, one, uh, one person that I worked with had a, a very... So core transformation is one of the, these processes. Some NLP processes are designed for a very specific application. So the phobia process, it works great with phobias, doesn't help with anything else. Whereas core transformation is a process that works at a different level of experience and can be used to transform any feeling, behavior, or thought that we'd like to transform. So obviously that's basically all of human experience, right? Or at least uh, maybe not all of human experience, but it's a big chunk of it in terms of the, the, the part of our experience that we have control over, I guess. Um, that basically covers it all. And... So, yeah, so lots of examples. One um, person I worked with had a very traumatic experience um, that they had witnessed and led to uh, significant fears. And, and that was, I don't remember exactly, probably 20, 30 years later that these fears were still getting triggered regularly from certain things. And we did the core transformation process over a period of, think of, maybe three sessions. They were pretty in-depth and intense ones, um, longer sessions. And then since then, that's, that issue was resolved for her. That transformed it. And um, 
not only that, but she actually was surprised to report back that other things, other like a particular relationship improved. So some other things that she didn't actually think were linked to to that trauma and that uh, trigger um, actually significantly improved in her life as well. So sometimes that can happen with um, when we work at that deeper level that other things in our life improve in ways that we never expected, which is pretty cool. I think it's awesome. And it also, I mean, and for people who are struggling with this stuff, I think it's an important thing to point out. Sometimes we have these issues and we don't realize all the other places of our, in our life that they're affecting us, these traumas. And it's not until we begin to do the work and start to release them that we can free ourselves up in ways that it's hard to imagine. And so if you're listening to this and you're struggling with some things, you might know how they're affecting you, but there's a good chance or in affecting the people around you, your relationships, but there's a good chance you don't fully understand that. Yeah. And the nice thing is with the NLP tools, we don't need to understand that. So a lot of people, a lot of uh, the assumption in psychotherapy has been that in order to change, we need to understand, uh, you know, we need to understand what's the root of this or, you know, where is this leading? And that can be useful, but it's not necessary. And we have processes that can reliably guide us to a, to a different experience now, even if we have no idea why, <laughs> why it was structured the other way for so long. You know, sometimes it's a bit random. It's just kind of, that's how we ended up doing it. And, and now we, we're realizing there's a better way. So what are metaphors of movement? So metaphors of movement is a wonderful way of working. It's a, it's another modality. That's a, it's a whole different modality of, of metaphor work than anything else I've seen anywhere else. It was developed by Andrew T. Austin and he's still refining the model and, and we bring him into Boulder every year to teach. Um, so it's a wonderful metaphor. People for a long time have understood the power of metaphor to communicate in terms of storytelling and that sort of thing. Um, but what this process does is rather, and in therapy too, um, a lot of times people use metaphor to um, help guide somebody. You know, I might... I could talk at a logical level or I could tell a story to guide somebody from one experience to another. But the metaphors and movement process is something totally different. Rather than creating a story or a metaphor to help us communicate some concept that we want to communicate to somebody, what the metaphors and movement process does is elicit the metaphor we already have, the unconscious metaphors we have for our problems or stuck states, and then use this as um, insights into why our attempted solutions aren't working and what might actually work better. So I'll share, let me think, what, what would be a good metaphor story to share? So uh, let's just take a simple example of, you know, we hear these metaphors in, in our language all the time. Um, it's two steps forward, one step back, and it's like I'm walking in circles or um, I'm, in, I'm in a rut, I'm in, I'm in the pit of despair, I'm, you know, it's like I'm walking through quicksand. It's an uphill battle. Um, these are, you know, I'm, I'm treading water or my head's, I'm underwater. So these are just a few that are coming to the top of my head. But you hear these metaphors all the time in people's everyday language. And most people ignore the metaphor and pay attention to all of the other words around it. In the metaphors of movement process, 
we actually ignore all of the words around it and pay attention to the metaphor because that interestingly in the, that metaphor is actually communicated more about somebody's experience than all of those other words around it because metaphors are so informa information dense. So if somebody says, okay, I'm slamming my head against a brick wall, the meta in the metaphors of movement process, we explore, okay, well, what kind of a wall is that? And, you know, what's it like? Is it, you know, if I'm the person guiding through, that's something that I've never actually explored before. But I might notice in my own experience, oh, it's like it's, you know, six feet wide and seven feet tall and it's about a foot thick. And it's like I'm just slamming my head into this brick wall. And then if we take that outside perspective for a moment and go, okay, so um, in real life, what's been your attempted solution to this problem? Well, I just, you know, I just keep being headstrong and until I get a breakthrough. Um, is what somebody might say. So, okay, let's say we're walking along this imaginary path. We come to this poor person who's he's got this wall, it's six feet wide, it's seven feet tall, and he's slamming his head against it. And we say, don't worry, we're experts. We know exactly what to do here. Just keep being headstrong until you get a breakthrough. Does that seem like good advice? Of course, it sounds like horrible advice now because you could just walk around it, right? Um, so there's a lot of interesting things that can come out where people realize, oh my God, the strategy that I've been using here, it's really not appropriate to the situation. And since it's all happening in metaphor, I don't actually need to know anything about their problem um, to guide them through a useful experience of them noticing, oh, maybe this is something I can just go around and move on. So sort of identifying these problems by because they're embedded in their language, whether it's the, the stuff they talk to other people about or their self-talk, essentially. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it's it's a really fascinating way of working. And that's just a tiny, tiny uh, glimpse of the, the the detailed model that Andy has developed. So definitely he has lots of YouTube videos. You can check him out, Andrew, Andrew T. Austin, uh, lots of really good stuff. I think the things that you're talking about are incredibly fascinating. And for the people who are listening, I think there's just a ton here. Like if somebody is, they're going through a lot of this stuff, they want essentially like a rebirth. They want to shed their old skin. Uh, they're in a rut. They're fed up of feeling the way that they've been feeling. What should they do to sort of work out of that and sort of get past these emotional limitations so they can start achieving what it is that they feel like they really want inside? Yeah. Great question. So one of the places that I start is, you know, if somebody's coming in and they say, and they're focused on, you know, they have certain goals and they, they feel like they're not getting there with who they are right now or how they're, uh, how they're being, is I'll just ask the question, so what's stopping you from already being there, from already being the person you want to be or doing what you want to do? What's, what's stopping you from having already done that. And then that could be a wide range of different things. So if it's an inner voice, then we've got that voice model to work with. If it's an image, a big nasty image that they're seeing on the inside, then we might do something with that on the inside. Um, if it's a feeling that's that they're aware of that derails them, then there's ways of working with that with NLP. So I'll start by just saying, okay, so what's stopping you from from having what you want right now. 
then that'll clue me into the aspect of their inner experience that is not leading them to where they're wanting. And then that'll guide me to what, what an NLP tool to start with. And sometimes we might start with one thing and then explore something else or try a third thing or, you know, that one, the one thing might get us a certain amount of towards their goal. And then we bring in another tool to help further. So, but it's very much based on their own on finding out what's their inner experience and then exploring, making changes. And then they get to be the, I'm the expert on what to try and they're the expert on what works. So they get to tell me in their own experience what's actually working for them. And then we go, go from there. So they start with a question and then essentially you work with them to follow that question. And then there's sort of the different tools available that through trial and error, you try to figure out something that works for them. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Well, I mean, if I say what stops you from, you know, let's say their goal is to, um, to date more and I say, okay, what stops you from, from dating more? That could be an inner voice that prevents them from even attempting anything or even doing anything in that uh, realm, whether it's online or in person. Um, you know, it could be a number of different things that's stopping them. It might just it might just be that they're way too busy and they need to make more time in their schedule. So so I want to make sure that we're starting with with what's going to actually be the most important thing to shift and not assuming that I know ahead of time that it's an inner voice or that it's X, Y, or Z. With our clients, I feel like, I mean, the type of answers we get are I'm too old or sometimes too young, but usually too old. People are going to reject me because of my ethnicity. I'm too short. It's something about their body. It's their lips or their nose or their eyes. They've become fixated on some part of their life or some part of them they don't like. Uh, it could be external. I mean, it could be some past trauma, right? And um, I was uh, molested as a kid. Uh, my family didn't love me. My dad abandoned me or my parents abandoned me. I, got, I mean, there's all these different things that sort of pop up. So essentially you start with a question, you try to identify what is that first reaction for them? And then you begin to work through it. Is, that's, is that what you're saying? Yeah. If, you know, if somebody's saying, as far as what you're saying about the people saying, well, I'm too old or I'm this or that, you know, if that's happening, if I'm working with somebody one-on-one -on -one and they're coming up with objections to their goal, like obviously they presumably they're, they have a goal because they're, paying me to, to co for coaching. Um, but if they're saying, if they're saying their goal is to date and then they're coming and they're saying, well, I'm too old or I'm this or I'm that, then that's an objection to their outcome. So, so then in that case, that's where to start is we want to make sure. And I'm very clear with people too, to say, well, you know, I don't care whether you date or not. Um, so it's really important that, you know, is this something you actually want to do? Cause it's fine if you if you're happy or single. That's totally an option too. Um, so to make sure that the motivation is coming from them, not from me, uh, first of all. And then you know, you usually they'll say, no, no, no. I really do. I want to. I want to date. I just feel like I am too old, and it's going to be impossible, or whatever it might be. So then we would go for okay. So what's the what's the positive intention of that objection to dating? And we got to work there first and clear those objections before we can go forward. So that's where getting those, uh, in NLP jargon, it would be called meta outcomes. So, you know, okay, so there's, let's find out how do you know that you're too old for dating? Oh, well, it's because, you know, 
I see these pictures or, you know, I, I hear this voice that says you're too old. Now we've got a place to start in terms of their inner experience of exploring, okay, too old. For, so this voice that says you're too old, if we're going to, to the voice process we were talking about earlier, um, you know, ask that part of you, what do, what do you want in, in communicating this, that I'm too old? Oh, well, I, I, want, I don't want you to uh, get rejected and, and feel bad. Or, or whatever it might be. So, so okay. And when I don't get rejected, when I don't get rejected, I don't feel bad. What do you want through that? That's more important. Well, I, I want you to feel good. So, okay, great. So, if there's a way that I can approach dating, and if there was, if it w were possible for me to feel good and um, enter the dating realm, uh, would that work for you? Absolutely. So now we're getting taking care of those objections so somebody can ha be, okay, great. So now we're on board all parts that dating, if we do it under these circumstances, is a good idea. And now we can go ahead and find out, okay, so what are the tools needed? What are the resources to build into that situation so it can happen in a way that, that, that the person's going to be happy with? I find this absolutely fascinating because even the idea of objections, they definitely are objections. And sometimes people come in and, and these are hardwired beliefs that seem to have been wired into the ner nervous system. They believe these things. But they're also, every time somebody says something like the example used or the examples I used, they're also testing, right? Like they're testing their own belief system. Like I believe I'm, like I'm too old. And they're looking to see how the person is responding. And based on that response, they sort of, either loosen up that belief sometimes or um, it reinforces it or it's inconsistent. If somebody disagrees and they fight for it, but they're testing this belief. Um, and so through, I don't know if you agree with that, but I feel like through that lens, these beliefs or, or these objections, however you want to phrase them, become much more malleable. Yeah, yeah. I think... I have two responses. One is also that, you know, one thing that's really useful in NLP is to get more specific about uh, about things as well. So if somebody has a belief, I'm too old, there's a lot of information missing in that. I'm too old for what? Uh, well, dating. Well, so what does that actually look like specifically? Are you talking about, you know, is this a 95-year-old who wants to date 18-year-olds or is this like a 65 year old looking for another 65 year old? Um, or, you know, so you can start getting more specifics about it to get a sense of, is this belief maybe accurate to the situation? You know, is this, is this somebody who's, let's say they're in the army? Well, you know, now, now that can be co-ed too, but if there was, let's say there was a straight person in the army for, for two years and it was, it, say it's an all-male army well you know then that might be a difficult situation to so so i can't date might might be literally true in that situation if they're looking for a heterosexual partner um so just getting more of the details of of that kind of more general statement can lead to making sure that we're tuning into what change is actually going to be most useful and then in terms of the beliefs there's, you know, people have this idea that beliefs are very difficult to change. And the truth is that we change beliefs all the time. 
And, you know, a lot of us used to believe in Santa Claus and different things that we don't believe anymore. And so really beliefs are, are our best way of navigating the world and we'll maintain a belief as long as it seems useful and valuable to us. So they're not actually difficult to change once you understand how, how we hold them in place with, with these more inner unconscious processes. They can change quite quickly, which is pretty exciting. Yeah, I think this is absolutely incredible. Mark, this has been awesome. Thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me. It's been a pleasure. If somebody wants to learn more about you, what, what do they do? Yeah, you can go to my website, markandreas.com. And uh, that you can find out about my training and coaching on there and my books and my email. My contact info is there too. So if you don't see something, you can just email me and ask. Yeah, we're also going to have some links in on the Craft Charisma website and in the description of this podcast so that you can find out about Mark more easily and hopefully we can get you to come back on again soon. This has been amazing. Great. Yeah, yeah. Likewise. Thanks so much, Chris. Been a pleasure. It's dating coach Chris Thona here. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen. And we absolutely love making this podcast. We make this podcast for you. So if there's somebody that you want on the show, let me know. I will yell, scream, stand in front of their house, do everything I do to get them on the show for you. Also, don't hesitate to follow the podcast on SoundCloud and iTunes and Stitcher. You can also give us a shout out through social media, Facebook, Twitter, share it with your friends. And lastly, go to the Craft Christmas website and create an account. There you can talk about the podcast and communicate with me directly. So thank you again for taking time to listen. You will hear again from me soon.